The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 315. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. When you enroll, you get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. You also get the best deals on forthcoming courses. And that's a big hint because those that are enrolled in the next few days, I don't know the exact count, but next few days are going to see a great deal coming. So you're going to want to get in on it. Here it is, June 11th, when I'm recording this. You're going to want to get in on McClanahan Academy within the next week, and you'll see the deal. So, register at McClanahan Academy, buy one of the courses that helps support the show as well. You get great deals on forthcoming courses. You'll get great deals on existing courses at times. I'll send out a coupon. If you're on my email list, you get great deals on existing courses. So, you want to be on that email list, and it does support the show. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Anything you want to contribute is greatly appreciated. You also get my uh, autograph on one of my books there by getting a book plate. I sign it, send it out to you, stick it on your book. It's a win-win. You can also get your Brian McClanahan Show apparel by going to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the Shop tab. It'll take you out and get you my logo on all kinds of cool stuff. Also get the Think Locally, Act Locally sticker or shirt or whatever you want to do. Those are great. Think great gifts. We got Father's Day. I know it could be a late Father's Day gift, but we got all kinds of time. June's a lot of birthdays. So send out that stuff. It's just great stuff. You support the show. You advertise the show. You share it around. Share this show around on social media. Rate it where you get your podcasts. I mean, it's a great way to grow the audience organically. And my gosh, it seems like everything I've talked about comes true somehow. I mean, I don't know how this, how this happens, but you hear it here first so many times. This is what's going to happen. Trust me. And it happens. Now, before I get into the topic for the day, I want to talk about one more thing, and I'm very excited about this. And if you're on the email list, you're going to see this too. My newest book hit the shelves today, June 11th. It is entitled Southern Scribblings. The Ford is written by Ben Cooter Jones. It's 60 essays on the Southern tradition and a variety of other topics, but it's entitled Southern Scribblings. You will get a link to it in an email. So you're going to start seeing more about this. I'm going to start uh, sending you material on it and trying to get you interested in purchasing the book. It's an awesome book, uh, and you're going to want to get it. The Forward Alone by Ben Jones is just its great. Uh, but uh, this is something that I've done. It's taken me you know, years to put this together, but uh, it is a, a fun topic. And, of course, timely, looking at everything that's going on right now, You'll see in this book, this, this book, again, was years in the making. I've been talking about this subject, which today is uh, monuments and 
Confederate names and everything else and what the real meaning behind all of this is. I talk about it in the book, but I'm going to, so this is going to be kind of a long promotion for the book in some ways. Uh, but not just that, I, I address some of the major issues that we're dealing with in the book and why people really want to take down these monuments, change the names, do all the things they want to do because it's not, it's not about the monuments. It's really not even about race at all. It's about what these things represent in American society. So get Southern Scribblings. It's a, it's a lot of fun, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can get it Kindle, or you can get it paperback, one or the other. Uh, but um, it's, uh, I think you'll, you'll enjoy the book. Now, first things first, I want to mention something I said in the Christian Science Monitor back in 2015. So that was, I, I was interviewed by the Christian Science Monitor about eight, no, let's see. Yeah, it was about eight months before I started this podcast in 2016. Of course, that wasn't, you know, I've been doing media before that for, uh, gosh, six, seven years. So, uh, but I was interviewed by the Christian Science Monitor and uh, I was asked, this is right after the, the, uh, the Dylan Roof tragedy there in Charleston. Horrible thing. But of course, at that point, you had a mass media pogrom against all things Confederate. And I remember at the time, I was having some work done on my house, so we were living in, uh, in an apartment and, uh, be- while the work was being done. And um, this was going on, and I thought, my gosh, I mean, this is just, this is absolutely crazy. And I remember, you know, Ben Jones wrote the Ford to Southern Scribblings. I remember he was on television at that point. <clears throat> and uh, some little nitwit on there was interviewing him. And, I mean, they just couldn't get over Ben Jones. This is a man that uh, was a Democrat in Congress, marched in the Civil Rights Movement. And they were calling him all kinds of names because he was supporting the Confederate flag. And he's saying, look, this is ridiculous. You don't need to take this thing down. It has nothing to do with what happened here. Just because some people hijack it or use it or fly it and we don't agree with who they are doesn't mean the symbol has changed. I and mean, we can point to the fact that the flag has been flown and was flown in East Germany during the time the Berlin Wall was coming down because East Germans looked at it as a symbol of defiance to centralization. It was flown in Tiananmen Square in 1989 when the students there were protesting the, the authoritarian Chinese regime. It's been flown in Africa. Africa. Uh, people would say, well, that's racist. Flown in Africa. Uh, for liberation, Christian liberation forces there. They use it. Of course, it's been flown by U.S. soldiers all over the world at various times. Now the military has banned it. So has NASCAR. I mean, this is, this is absolutely stupid, what we're going through right now in American society. There's no other way to describe it. Stupid people are running things, and we're living in an emotional era. And I've, I've done a podcast on that, emotivism, and how powerful that is. But this is all based on emotion and stupidity. Stupid. Um, and I'm going to address two different articles today that kind of get into this. One is by David Petraeus. Another one is by uh, Theory Mason. And um, so but before I talk about that, the Christian Science Monitor interviewed me. They also interviewed uh, Marshall DeRosa, who wrote a wonderful book on the Confederate Constitution. He's also having, uh, producing or publishing a book, I don't know when, but on Confederate case law. So he gets into... The case law of the Confederate courts, which, of course, there was no, there was no uh, Supreme Court for the Confederacy. All this was in the states. And the relationships between 
the states, and of course, some of the cases brought up with slaves, how they were treated in court. So he's addressing some of the issues that Southern courts dealt with, and I think it's going to be eye-opening for a lot of people if they actually read it. And they're going to see it's not the cartoonish version of Southern history that you're given by the modern neo-left left, right? I mean, the, the, the progressive left. So I was asked, what does this mean? And I said, look, I mean, where do we stop? If you take down Confederate monuments now, if you take down the Confederate flag now, do we stop at that? Of course not. What's next? Washington, D.C., Thomas Jefferson. They're next. The founding generation, it's all next. I remember when I wrote my Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, which is a big hint for my next course. Uh, I, I mentioned in the beginning of that book that it, I didn't ever see a day, I don't think anybody could have seen a day, when it became politically incorrect to admire the founding generation. I wrote that 11 years ago, and here we are in 2009, and what's happening? Well, Thomas Jefferson is being vandalized. Christopher Columbus, of course, not a founding father, but Christopher Columbus is being torn down. You have the founding generation under attack everywhere. And then, of course, you have other individuals that the neoconservatives are shocked are being attacked, like Abraham Lincoln. Oh, my gosh, how can you attack Abraham Lincoln? Well, did you ever read what Lincoln said about African-Americans? It isn't too glowing. Or how about some of the other Union statues? See, it's not about the statues. It's not about that at all. It's clearly about something else. The Confederate statues are the low-hanging fruit, and people that bow to this and say, all right, fine, we'll take those down, are the Girondins in a great big cultural war. And if you don't know who the Girondins are, the Girondists, they were the moderate revolutionaries who eventually lost their heads because the radical revolutionaries used them to get what they wanted, and then they discarded them. And that's exactly what's going to happen to the neoconservatives, and the moderate leftists, anyone that wants to go along and says, oh, you know, this is, we got to do something about this. I mean, yeah, you know, these things are, well, it's treason. These people committed treason, so they should go. They're going to come after you next. Or maybe not next. When they get rid of anyone that would be affiliated with that stuff, then they'll come after you. But you will be discarded because you are not revolutionary enough. And this is, this is going to happen. Mark my words. Uh, look at how Joe Biden was attacked initially. And, of course, Joe Biden's the biggest buffoon to ever be nominated by a major party for president. I, he's even more of a buffoon than Donald Trump. Okay, Joe Biden is a major buffoon. The man will be a complete figurehead. He's already essentially uh, you know, suffering from dementia. And it's sad to watch it. But he's a buffoon. So, I mean, look at how they attacked Joe Biden. Well, you said nice things about these Southern Democrats back in the 70s. If the Republicans were smart, they would run with that stuff all the time. Of course, calling little African-American kids roaches. I mean, this is what he said. The things that he says could be used against him in commercials all the time. Do you really want to vote for this guy? Uh, I, I, I think it's embarrassing that the woke Democrats have nominated someone like Joe Biden. It's embarrassing. Uh, but you see, this is the last gasp for the Democrats, for the, for the mainstream establishment Democrats. They understand that if they didn't get Joe Biden, they were getting Bernie Sanders, and the gates are going to be open. I think Joe Biden is it. 
Once you get Joe Biden and that generation of Democrats out of the way, you see there's already, I, I read uh, uh, some comments about uh, some of the newspaper editorial boards now and how the old leftists are being just obliterated by the millennials because the millennials want safe spaces. The millennials don't really want free speech. They don't want any of that. They want to destroy it. So the liberals would say, yeah, I mean, these people can say what they want. We might criticize them. We might take them to task for it. We don't agree with it. But they're not going to try to shut them up. The millennials don't want them to exist. They don't want anyone that opposes them to exist. This is the trophy generation. Everyone gets a trophy, and they don't want to have their feelings hurt. And mean things or things they don't like hurt their feelings. And so because of that, you have to go away. These statues, and I, there was a, there was a uh, something on Twitter, you know, Robert E. Lee was trending at one point, and I always click on that to see what people are saying. And uh, one of them was from this little college-age girl, uh, and she had gone to Richmond. She had moved there from where I don't know, moved there, and she said, this is, you know, I walk by that statue every day, and it just hurts me. How does it hurt you? How does a statue? And this is because it's the trophy generation. Everyone gets a trophy generation. These people are ridiculous. Uh, but the fact is, and they don't want to hear anything that opposes what they think. I mean, if that was the case for me, I wouldn't read, I mean, I couldn't read anything really. You couldn't read any major news. You couldn't read, I mean, so much of what I read is against what I think about things because that's the best stuff to read. I don't need to read something that reaffirms what I think all the time. I already know what I think. I do read the stuff that reaffirms what I think and that stuff is good, but uh, I like to read the stuff that doesn't agree. with. First of all, it's great podcast fodder. So here we are five years later. 2015, you had high school kids, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, college kids. Those kids are now in their 20s, either early or mid-20s. And Those are the people that are at these rallies taking down statues. The other day, great karma, one of them fell on one of their heads and cracked his head open. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be destroying things, uh, vandalizing things. You know, I saw this in the 90s, too, and I saw some of it when I was in college uh, with kids who would vandalize things, and I didn't understand that back then. But that was when it really started. They called it tagging and other things. It was ridiculous. Uh, but I never understood it. I didn't understand property destruction or doing things like that. I mean, it, we just didn't do those things where I was from. You, you just you, you don't act like that. Uh, and these people did, and they were you know, my age, and they were doing these things, and I just could never figure out why they would do those things. But now, I mean, here, here we are uh, nearly 30 years later, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it. Um, so, more widespread. But what is the real motivation behind this? Is it simply because we have these Confederate statues and people are offended by the Confederacy, they're offended by Robert E. Lee, they're offended by traitors, which, of course, if you take my secession course, I take that entire argument apart piece by piece. And I think when you finish that class at McClanahan Academy, you'll never think that anyone in the South was a traitor to anything. Um, what I will say about that, too, is that the American loyalists have not changed since 1775. You know, if you, when somebody says, look, Robert E. Lee is a traitor, then ask them what they're celebrating on July 4th. Ask him if George Washington was a traitor. And if they say, well, he was, then, I mean, why have you not sworn allegiance to the, to the queen then? I mean, God saved the queen. You know, they, they can't get around. There's so many inconsistencies in their ideology. But regardless, what's really going on here is not the Confederacy. It's 
essentially traditional America. That's what they're seeking to tear down. And once they get the Confederate monuments down, because that represents traditional America, it represents a part of America they don't like. Once they get that down, they will go after the founding generation. Mark my words, take them down. New Orleans has already gone after Andrew Jackson. It's already gone after George Washington. It wants them gone. Uh, of course, the National, National Cathedral took down not only Robert E. Lee, but also George Washington. You see, they're not going to stop with Confederate monuments. It will not stop there, and anyone that thinks otherwise is delusional. The entire point is to make it to where history, American history did not start until 2009 when Barack Obama was canonized by the media and the establishment in America. That's when American history begins. That's year one. So that was year one. We're now in year 11. And this is a third American revolution. We're seeing it unfold before our very eyes. And people, most people don't even realize it yet. But that's what's at stake here. Now, the first thing I want to focus on is that piece. And I'm going to talk about this for a minute or two. And then we're going to take a break. But... It's the piece by David Petraeus. Now, David Petraeus is not a nincompoop. I mean, he, the things that he says are nincompoop status, but he's not a nincompoop. This is a guy who went to West Point, uh, very intelligent, U.S. Army general. He's a bright guy, but uh, he is virtue signaling on, on a basis in a way that, I mean, it just is laughable and embarrassing. And in fact, he didn't even know they changed the article. When I read this article a couple of days ago, um, and then I, uh, it was, it was uh, June 9th when I read it a couple of days ago. Uh, he had in there as Fort Jackson being named after Stonewall Jackson. He, doesn't, he didn't even know Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina is named after Andrew Jackson. So here's a man. Well, we got to rename these Confederate forts. Yeah, Fort Jackson named after Andrew Jackson. But I guess that guy's bad too. I mean, he was an Indian hater, supposedly, according to the left. He was a slave owner. We, gotta, we should rename that anyways. I mean, what are we doing? Just rename it Fort Tubman. I mean, we're going to take him off the $20 note and uh, replace him with Harriet Tubman. So why not just rename the fort too, Fort Tubman? I mean, she's would be appropriate. I mean, she's from you know South Carolina, so why not Fort Tubman? Uh, and so I'm going to get into that. But you know, when you look at this Petraeus piece, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's just it's embarrassing. Um. He says, as I have watched Confederate monuments being removed by state and local governments and sometimes by the forceful will of the American people. No, 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 no. Not the American people. Not the forceful will of the American people. A bunch of whiny malcontents are forcefully removing these things. Breaking the law by doing so, by the way. And even the state and local governments that are involved in this, in the case of Alabama in particular, they're breaking the law. There's a way to change that. Uh, you just, if a city does it, the state could just say, well, you're no longer a city. You just re revoke their corporate charter and you say you're gone. But regardless. Um, the fact that the ten, that 10 U.S. Army installations are named for Confederate officers has weighed on me. It's weighed on me. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I wake up every day thinking about this. I'm sure most Americans could care less. That number includes the Army's largest base, one very special to many in uniform, Fort Bragg in North Carolina. The highway sign for Bragg proclaims it home of the Airborne and Special Operations Forces. 
I had three assignments there during my career. Soldier stationed at Bragg are rightly proud to serve in its elite units. Some call it the center of the military universe, the mothership, or even hollowed ground. But Braxton Bragg, the general for whom the base was named, served in the Confederate States Army. <gasps> oh my gosh. No way. You got me. Who didn't know that? The United States is now wrestling with repeated instances of abusive policing caught on camera. The legacies of systematic racism. The challenges of protecting freedoms enshrined to the Constitution and Bill of Rights while thwarting criminals who seek to exploit lawful protests and debates over symbols glorifying those who fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War. The way we resolve these issues will define our national identity for this century and beyond. Okay, uh, it's not really what's going on here. What's going on here is the... We're not wrestling with repeated instances of abuse. So, uh, that, that was part of it, but I mean, we're not really dealing with that on a comprehensive basis. And we're dealing with it in one instance. And uh, the other things, I mean, it's when you look at what's happening, it's not about these things. It's about something else that y'all get into. Yesterday afternoon, an Army spokesperson said that Secretary of the Army Ryan McCarthy is now open to a bipartisan discussion on renaming the bases. That's the right call. Once the names of these bases are stripped from the obscuring power of tradition and folklore, renaming the installations becomes an easy and even obvious decision. Really? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, when you look at these bases and what they're named for, they're named for people that lit Braxton Bragg was from North Carolina. Uh, and, I mean, it's not like they named it Fort Lee in North Carolina. There is a Fort Lee in Virginia, but they're named after people that lived in those states. Andrew Jackson's from South Carolina. I mean, this is, this is what they were thinking. All right, well, let's think of who we have, a military leader that's famous. And Braxton Bragg was not just famous because of his activities during the war for Southern independence. He was famous for his activities before that, too. I mean, he might not have been an outstanding general in the war, but he certainly was a very good officer before that. So... I mean, you look at the other people, Lee and Pickett, brings up Hood, Rucker, Gordon. I mean, and when you said, well, all these bases, he says, all these bases were put up near World War I uh, as uh, the height of the lost cause. Well, you think about what's happening there. First of all, it's World War I. Yes, there was a reconciliationist movement. It wasn't about lost cause. There was reconciliation. And that's 50 years after the war. So... Reconciliation is taking place. Northerners and Southerners say, okay, let's bury the hatchet. You've got Calvin Coolidge in the 20s standing in front of a Confederate flag. You've got other presidents before that standing in front of Confederate flags. You've got presidents speaking to the UDC and other groups standing in front of Confederate flags. These are the people that should have hated those people. In fact, a lot of these people were Union veterans, and, uh, I mean, they were fine with it. They were fine with it. Anybody should have hated the Confederacy was those people. But they didn't because they saw it as reconciliation. They saw it as an important healing process. You see, this taking these things down is not healing. It's creating divide. It's creating division. There's no healing there. It's saying that the South is the obscure and insignificant other, the evil part of American history. If we just get rid of that, everything's going to change. We know that's not the case. We know monuments that come down to New Orleans. It's still bad. I don't even need to read the rest of Petraeus, uh, because this is his argument. Of course, as I said, he incorrectly called Fort Jackson 
a Confederate military installation. They had to change that. But I need to take a quick break. I've gone long on this segment. I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about what, these, what this is really about. I'll see you in just a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why, and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum, or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise, but it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about the current climate and what's going on and the real reason all these things are under attack. It has nothing to do with the Confederacy, really. It has nothing to do with uh, Robert E. Lee. It has everything to do with a revolutionary sentiment that's taking hold of America. And that is the radical transformation of the United States. It's remaking America. Look, Barack Obama was open about it in 2009. When he took the oath of office and he gave his inaugural address, he said, we're going to continue the process of remaking America. And that's exactly what's happened now for 11 years. There's a culture war. There's a cultural element to it. There's a political element to it. There's an economic element to it. There's three things working here. This is a third American revolution. And this piece by... Uh, Theory Mason, I think it's Mason, at lewrockwell.com. Um, he begins by saying anti-racism protests in the United States have rapidly evolved into a promotion of the ideas championed by the Democratic Party. It was no longer a question of fighting for equality and law or for, for all or challenging the prejudices of certain police officers, but on of reopening a cultural conflict at the risk of a new civil war. In my, my last email I sent out, I talked about this. This is the culture war. It's come home to America. I mean, Pat Buchanan talked about it uh, in the 90s. But it's really come home to America now. He says, protests across the West against racism in the United States are masking the evolution of the conflict there. It has evolved from a questioning of the remnants of black slavery to a conflict that could challenge the integrity of the country. 
He says, last week I pointed out that the United States should have disbanded after the breakup of the Soviet Union, to which it was attached. However, the imperialist project, the endless war led by George W. Bush, has made it possible to revive the country after the attacks of September 11, 2001. I also pointed out that in recent decades, the population moved around a great deal in order to regroup by cultural affinity. He continues, this is precisely what we are witnessing today. The conflict is no longer between blacks and whites, since whites have become the majority in some anti-racist demonstrations. Hispanics and Asians have joined the processions, and the Democratic Party is now involved. Since Bill Clinton's term in office, the Democratic Party has identified with the process of financial globalization. So he gets into the financial stuff here, but I think it's important to note that when you look at the protests, he's right about this. It's not really, I mean, there are black protesters, of course. Uh, but a lot, the, the demonstrations are demonstrably white. I mean, they are led by, and this is what I said about the kids that were 15 to 20 in 2015. They're all out there leading this now, these high school and college kids. They've all been indoctrinated. They're the ones who are out now leading the protests. They're, they're white Americans. It's white Americans that are driving this now. Um, Mason says, as historian Kem Phillips, Richard Nixon's electoral advisor, has shown, Anglo-Saxon culture gave rise to three successive civil wars. The first English Civil War, the second English Civil War, which is the War of Independence from the United States, and the third Anglo-Saxon War, the Civil War in the United States. What we're witnessing today is, could lead to the fourth. This seems to be the view of former Secretary of Defense General Jim Mattis, who recently told The Atlantic that he was concerned about President Trump's divisive rather than unifying policies. But you see, this is where the generals would portray us, who's writing for The Atlantic. That piece was in The Atlantic. Yeah, it was in The Atlantic that I just talked about. And of course, Mattis, I mean, all these people are going to The Atlantic now. They're nationalists. But they don't see that their disease is actually leading to all this stuff, that nationalism is the problem, not decentralization. If we had real federalism and decentralization, none of this would be a problem. Because Minnesota would take care of itself, and Alabama, and Georgia, and California, and you know, New England states, you know, whatever it is, Massachusetts, Connecticut, whatever, they would take care of themselves. Uh, one thing that Petraeus did say, he said, well, you know, we're reevaluating all these people. It used to be we're looking at Confederate generals, but now we have to reevaluate people like Teddy Roosevelt and Thomas Jefferson. Ooh, wait a second here. I thought we were only talking about Confederate leaders. But no, he brings up, and of course, he also brings up Wilson, which is, that's again, that's low-hanging fruit. But when you start bringing up Jefferson and Roosevelt, the neocons would get very upset about Teddy Roosevelt, not so much about Jefferson. Uh, the only reason neocons get upset about Roosevelt is because, I mean, look, he is a neocon. He's an everlasting glory nationalist. Now, they wouldn't agree with him on some things because he was too much of a populist or a progressive, I should say, more of a progressive than anything. But uh, they certainly don't like the fact that if you attack him because of his everlasting glories and peerless positions, I mean, that's, that's, you can't do that. I remember when I applied for a job and I, I was asked to give a lecture on the late 19th century, and I did, I was accused of being too anti-American by a Roosevelt-type Republican because I was critical of Teddy Roosevelt. He says, let us go back to the history of the United States to see where the, where the sides are. Populist President Andrew Jackson vetoed the Federal Reserve Bank established by Alexander Hamilton, one of the fathers of the Constitution, who favored federalism because he was violently opposed to democracy. Just as Jackson's disciple Donald Trump is today in opposition to the Fed, 20 years after Jackson came the Civil War, to which today's protesters all refer. According to them, it pitted a slave south against a humanist north. The movement that began with a racist news item 
The lynching of black George Floyd by a white policeman from Minneapolis continues today with the destruction of statues of Southern generals, including Robert E. Lee. Actions of this type had already taken place in 2017, but this time they are gaining momentum and governors from the Democratic Party are participating. This is important. 2015, we have the horrible thing with Dylan Roof. 2017, you have Charlottesville, you have uh, the Heather Heyer tragedy, uh, the idiot from Ohio runs into, runs into people with this car. I mean, what a moron, okay? That's all stupid, and it killed somebody. Ridiculous. Uh, but, see, there, 2015, we're told, no, 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 we're going to stop. With, and then it was, we're going to take down statues. Now, see, all these people are now, here it is, three years later. This is a never-ending process. I'm telling you, even when the Confederate statues are down, it's never going to end. The next thing will be, we got to rename Thomas, we got we to take Thomas Jefferson out of University of Virginia, the school he founded. What about the Washington Monument? What about Washington, D.C.? I mean, why, are we, why do we name a city after a slave owner? What about everything in America that's named after a slave owner? What, I mean, why do those things still stand? And I think that the people that are pushing the revolution know this. The people that are the stupid dupes are like, no, 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 we're not going to stop there. We're, we're not going to rename Washington, D.C. Are you, you sure about that? Are you sure about that? NASCAR. Founded in the South, won't allow Confederate flags now. This is how stupid all this stuff is getting. It's ridiculous. However, this narrative does not comp- correspond at all to reality. At the beginning of the Civil War, both sides were slavers. This is true. I pointed this out. You had two slave-owning republics, slaveholding republics, fighting each other. Slavery didn't end in the United States until, until December 1865, eight months after the war was over. There were still slaves in the U.S. and in the areas the United States controlled... They didn't end slavery. And then he says, and at the end, both sides were anti-slavers. Well, I mean, this is partly true. The South certainly had discussed ending slavery to get the British and French involved. The end of slavery owes nothing to the abolitionists and everything to the need for both sides to enlist new soldiers. There was certainly some discussion about that. The South had actually started to do it, right? They raised a black regiment. Fight for your freedom. The Civil War pitted a rich Catholic agricultural South against a Protestant industrial North aspiring to make a fortune. Now, the South wasn't Catholic. I mean, this is a part that I wasn't Catholic. It might have been a little more orthodox. But, I mean, I think Dabney and uh, Jackson and others would have bristled to saying that they're Catholic. I mean, R.L. Dabney was extremely anti-Catholic. There's no pro-Catholic there. It crystallized around the issue of customs duties, which the South believed should be sent by the federal states. Set by the federal states, by, but which the North intended to abolish between the federal states and have the federal government determine. Therefore, in debunking the Southern symbols, the current demonstrations are not attacking the remnants of slavery, but denouncing the Southern vision of the Union. This is true. You see, the South dominated the government for 80, the first 80 years of the government. Even some of the most famous nationalists were Southern, like John Marshall. The South dominated the government. The South controlled the presidency. The South controlled the Congress. The South did a lot to determine what the United States is going to look like in its first 80 years. Even the South had a role in the post-war period, particularly once you get to the early 20th century, in the Wilson administration, and how important Southerners were in uh, determining what kind of regulations we would have. Uh, The Glass-Steagall Act, uh, both Southerners. Uh, The Clayton Antitrust Act. I mean, you could go down the line... Uh, the Underwood Tariff. I mean, you go down the line and you see that you had Southerners extremely involved in the central government and some of the most important parliamentarians of the 20th century were Southern, like Richard B. Russell, 
I mean, so the South had a had it was an anchor, the hub, so to speak, to the entire process of the United States. And we're trying to undermine all of that. We got to get rid of all of that because to the cultural revolutionaries, the South is bad, the North is good. But we got to be careful. They know that the North isn't good, but they're using that dichotomy to show that to have a good guy and a bad guy. And they're getting neoconservatives like like idiots like Petraeus involved or some of the other neoconservative useful stooges out there involved and, and criticizing the once we get the Confederacy, we're done. We're going to draw the line in the sand. No, we won't. We won't draw the line in the sand. It's not it's not over. Um, he says today, the notions of South and North no longer correspond to geographical realities it is not possible to choose the aspects of country of a country's history that one considers good and to destroy those that one considers bad without calling into question everything that has been built on it. This is true. Um, he says, uh, President Donald Trump finds himself in the situation Mikhail Gorbachev experienced at the end of the 1980s. His country's economy, not finance, has been in sharp decline for decades. But his fellow citizens refuse to acknowledge the consequences. The United States can only survive by setting new goals. Such change is particularly difficult in times of recession. Paradoxically, Donald Trump is clinging to the American dream when U.S. society is stuck the middle classes are disappearing and new immigrants are no longer European. At the same time, its only opponents, the Fed, Wall Street, and Silicon Valley, are proposing a new model, but at the expense of the masses. The problem of the USSR was different, but the situation was the same. Gorbachev failed and it was dissolved. It would be surprising if the next U.S. president, whoever it may be, succeeded. I said in February, is, 18, is 2020 the new 1860? I mean, are we at that point in America? And I don't know. I mean, I think the only solution is thinking locally and acting locally in decentralization. But even there, um, as I pointed out to one commenter, I mean, how far down do you have to go? And you look at micro and macro. I mean, this is a difficult situation to address. You know, where do you go? How, how do you do this? I mean, you're going to have to persuade people that you're going to have to get involved and try to start persuading people of your position. And it's going to be very difficult. You've got a mountain. This is like I've said before, we're standing in sandals, uh, a T-shirt, and shorts at Mount Everest, and we've got to get to the top somehow. It's hard. Um, but what's at stake here is it's not about Confederate symbols. I mean, look, those things are going to go. I'm just going to tell you, every one of them is going to be gone. Everyone will be gone from public view at some point. Uh, you have people talking about, this is in 2019, putting these things in a museum, but not upright, but demolishing them and sticking them in a museum. So that this is our remnant. These are geography professors from, I forget where, some idiots, professors. Uh, but this is where we are. So I'm not certain where we go from here, other than that we're going to see more of this. But the Cultural Revolution is beginning in America. And... Um, it is, it's going to, going to get worse. And once Confederate statues are gone, and they're going to go, then what do we get? Well, then it's, then it's the founding generation. Trust me, they're going to go. Uh, we've seen you know, the Texas Ranger statue in Texas. I mean, how stupid. Uh, the Rizzo statue in Philadelphia. Now, Rizzo was a colorful guy, had some really nasty things to say about minorities. Uh, so, I mean, but he's a modern figure. So, I mean, where do we go from there? I mean, look, Kate Smith had to go. God bless America. That had to go. I mean, this is how stupid this stuff really is. But that's 2020. That's the 21st century. This is what we've gotten in five years in this new cultural revolution, this third American revolution, which is completing the work of the second, which was 
the war for Southern independence. It was a revolution in the North, not in the South. Um, so the South, these statues, these symbols represent dissidents. They represent opposition to this new American order, and they have to go. And so if you side with them, I mean, you are an obstacle in this new American order. That's clearly what's happening. And I think uh, anyone that thinks this is about just the statues like Petraeus, well, we've got to reevaluate these things. He's a useful idiot. Uh, and that's where we are today. Uh, even the right, I mean, definitely the right, the neoconservative right are becoming the useful idiots. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. Get on my email list. Get the link to my new book, Southern Scribblings, or just go out and look for it on Amazon, Southern Scribblings, or just look for my name on Amazon. You'll see it come up, uh, and I'm excited about it. You're going to want that book, again, timely for what we're going through right now. Uh, you're going to see that I've been talking about this stuff for years. All right. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.